0: 38. It says, then he got up, talking about Christ, then he got up and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law, this is talking about Simon Peter. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him to help her. And standing over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And she immediately got up and waited on them. While the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick, with various, or uh, I think the, the, origi- uh, the authorized has the word uh, divers, but it, it simply means various diseases, brought them to him. And laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. Demons also were coming out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God. But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak, because they knew him to be the christ when day came jesus left and went to a secluded place and the crowds were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them but he said to them i must preach the kingdom of god to the other cities also for i was sent for this purpose so he kept on preaching in the synagogues of judea and may god bless the reading of his word and may god bless the teaching of his word as well this morning so let's pray together maybe our Father God, we do thank you for this time that we can gather, and I pray not Father, that you would bless the reading of your word, and now, Father, I pray now that you would also bless the teaching of your word. May it sink into our hearts and our lives of how, Father, Christ is the authority, he is sovereign, he is God, God in flesh, and he is authority over sickness, over the demonic world and sovereign in control of eternity. May you bless this time. May our hearts and our minds be focused now upon the teaching and preaching of your word. Use me, Father, as I teach and preach. I pray, Father, that you would use me mightily. And, Father, I also pray if there's anyone here this morning or anyone, Father, that will watch, listen, now or in the future, that has never truly trusted the finished work of Christ, I pray that they will do so before it is eternally too late. Draw them unto yourself. Grant them the gift of repentance. In the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, let me give you a few things of means of introduction this morning. This is going to kind of be a little bit of a review because we've been out of the book of Luke since uh, October. Because in October we started getting into the, the, the holiday season with Thanksgiving and then with Christmas coming up and then in January... We had to miss a couple of days because of uh, the ice and because of COVID, but now we're getting into back into the book of Luke. So let me give you uh, about three things now of, uh, as a matter of introduction. So the first thing I want to give you a matter of introduction is this, as we read through the four Gospels, we must remember to keep in mind these things, that all four present Christ as the Messiah. But they present them in four total and different ways. Now, let me give you those ways. First of all, there's Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament. This book was written by a former publican. Now, let me explain to you what a publican was. Not Republican, but a publican. And I spoke and described a little bit this past Wednesday night as we got into an introduction of the New Testament. But I want to describe to you what a publican was. A publican was a Jew that worked for the Roman government. Now, if you know anything about the Jews of that time, they despised the Roman government because they saw the Roman government coming in as invaders and conquerors. And they did not want to be underneath the control of anyone. So the Roman government had come in and had conquered all of the Middle East of that time. In fact, their empire was so vast that it went from all the way from the northern part of London, which we now know as the Tower of London. In fact, when I was in London, there was a statue there just north of the London Tower of Caesar, Caesar Augustus, still there that was put there by the Roman army. Still, there is a wall there that was put up by the, by the Romans, that is still there, a very vast empire. So it stretched all the way from northern London, what we now know as northern London, stretched all the way down through what is now modern-day Europe, and went all the way down to North Africa. That is how vast the Roman Empire was. But they saw, the Jews saw, the Roman government as invaders. So what were the publicans? The publicans were Jews that worked for the Roman government. And what did they do for the Roman government? They collected taxes. They were tax collectors. They were despised by both the Jews and the Romans. You say, well, weren't they employed by the Roman government so they should be appreciated, right? No. Because they saw the publicans as a betrayer to their own people. The Jews also saw the publicans as being traitors to their own people. In fact, the publicans, they were so mistrusted by both Jews and Romans that they could not testify in court because their word could not be trusted. Now, there were two types of publicans. There was the bottom level of the publican, and then there was the higher level of the publican. The lower level of the publican worked for the higher level of the publican. How many of you have ever heard of Zacchaeus, the, 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 the little guy that climbed up into sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see? He was a higher level publican. Matthew, though, was just a little bitty publican. But he answered to, I call him the godfather, the higher publican. So, in other words, they were also extortioners. So, let's say I used this illustration the other day and I used it with Jack, but today I'm going to use Mike. Let's say Mike is traveling from Hope Mills to Fayetteville, and I'm the publican, and I am the tax collector. For Mike to get to Fayetteville, he's got to go through me. So, he comes to my table and he says, Hey, uh, Mr. Publican, I need to get so and so. Okay. Well, I see your name here. You owe fifty dollars in taxes. No, I don't. I owe twenty-five. No, you don't. It's fifty right here. No, I don't. It's twenty-five. No. Well, okay. I'm gonna tell you what. You won't pay the fifty. I'm gonna up it up to a hundred. They could do that legally. They could do that. Even though he owed twenty-five. The publican could then say, you owe $100. And if he didn't pay up, he went to prison until he got paid. This is what the publicans would do. They would take whatever it was that he said. Keep half and give the other half to the upper level of the publican. They were extortioners. They were thieves. That was Matthew. Matthew was a publican that was a sinner, but he was later converted and became an apostle of Christ. He wrote the book of Matthew through the lens of a Jew to a Jewish audience portraying Christ as King. Secondly, there was Mark. We know him as John Mark. He was a missionary with Paul and later with Barnabas. He wrote the book through the lens of a writer, writing with a very, very quick pace, we could we could basically say this about the, the Gospel according to Mark, that is, the life of Christ through a Notes version. It just gave the facts. It's written to a Gentile audience, portraying Christ as a servant. Then there was John, written by the Apostle John, the, the Apostle whom Jesus loved. He always wrote about himself in the second person. He never referred to himself by name. He always said that he was the Apostle whom Jesus loved. He wrote through the lens of a writer to present Christ as God. He used the word believe or trust or depend upon 52 times alone in the Gospel of John. But now there's the book of Luke. Luke was a Gentile, but we know very little about Luke other than he was a physician. He was a doctor that was assigned by a man by the name of Theophilus to investigate the life of Christ. He carefully researched the life of Christ through interviews, historical research, to write this gospel, and it was written primarily to the Gentiles, and it portrayed Christ as the God-man. But all four of them worked together to present Christ as the Messiah. They stress His divinity, that salvation can only come through repentance, placing their faith in the finished work of Christ. So now as we come to the closing portion now of of Luke chapter 4, we will see the authority of Christ through the natural realm of sickness, through the supernatural realm of demons, and through the eternal realm of eternity. So now let's look at verses 38 through 40. So now we're going to go back to our Bibles. And let's look at the authority of Christ over the power of sickness. Of sickness. Now, One of the major destructive effects of sin. Okay, you want to know why people get sick? You want to know why we have COVID? You want to know why we have uh, stomach flus? Why we have cancer? Why we have hepatitis? Why we have tumors? Diabetes? High blood pressure? You want to know why we have all those things? It's because we live in a fallen world the because of sin. So one of the most destructive things, effects of sin, is disease and illness. One commentator said this. I think it was Luther that said this. It has been said that the first step toward death is birth. You ever thought about that? That the very second a child is born... They began the process of dying at that very moment. They began the process of dying. Diseases, deformities, physical weakness, injuries, death is all because of the effects of sin. So let's look at, first of all, the mother-in-law of Simon Peter is sick in verse 38. Then he, talking about Christ, got up and left the synagogue. He had been teaching the synagogue a, a, a evil spirit had been in a man, and Christ had rebuked this evil spirit and told him to come out of him. He had left the synagogue, and now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. And they asked him to help her. Now, this word high fever means that she was seriously sick. And as I have checked into this high fever, more than likely she had some sort of a virus that had gone so bad that she was on the brink of death. And more than likely, she had some sort of a septic infection that had gone into her bloodstream. And if you know anything about sepsis, that once it gets into the bloodstream, if not quickly treated, it could quickly and easily lead to death. So, Christ comes into the home of Simon Peter. Now you have to recognize things back in that day that that when a man married a woman, he just didn 't live in the house with her. The family all lived in one great big house. so they all lived together in one great big house. so there was simon peter 's mother in law that was living then there, and she was bedridden with his life threatening. Illness. The word, the Greek word for great or high fever is the word megas, which we get magnificent from, which means great or loud. And there's help. So evidently they had brought in doctors, brought in physicians. They couldn't do anything for her. But then we see in verse 39 and standing over her, he rebuked the fever. And it left her. And she immediately got up and waited on them. So what do we see in verse 39? Christ healed her. And if you note something with this verse, in verse 39, he just simply stands over her. It doesn't take any work or effort on his part to do it. He just simply stands there. But he also rebukes the fever or the illness or the septic infection that had gotten into her bloodstream. The word rebuke comes from the Greek word epitomio, which simply means this, to rebuke it or to charge it to get out. Now, I want you to note how she was healed. Note a very, very key word here. It says, it left her and she, what? Immediately got up and waited on them. There was no two or three days of, Okay, you're, 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 you're better now, but you need some rest for about two or three days. You need to, take, you need to stay on your antibiotics, and about two or three days, you'll feel better. But even after that two or three days, you're going to feel better, but you'll still feel weak, and you need to take it slowly. No, she got up immediately and went to work. By doing what? serving them. So she arose from her sickbed. The bed that she was lying on evidently to the brink of death and began to serve those that were in attendance. Let me give you some key points here. First thing is this. This gives great evidence of how Christ truly healed people. And when he healed, he healed with a word or he healed with a touch. He healed instantaneously. It was instant. He healed completely. He healed everyone. He healed every form of disease. And he raised, he even went to the extent of raising people from the dead. As we see with Lazarus, but also we see with the widow of Nain. Now once I I came across this passage this past week about the widow of Nain. And I'd never picked up on this until I was reading it this past week. And they were having a funeral procession for her son. He was on a buyer. We, we would call it a hearse today. Going from the home to the burial site. To the tomb of where they would bury him. She had already lost her husband. And now she had lost her son. So she was weeping. People were getting out of the way. It would be much like. Today, what do we do when we see a funeral procession going down the road? We pull over. We wait for the out of respect. We wait for the, for the funeral procession to go by, and then after they've gone, then we can go on our way. Well, back then, there was that same tradition that when the funeral procession was coming through town, everybody went to the side, then the funeral procession went by, and everybody went on about their business. And I was reminded this past week that as that funeral procession came down the middle of the road, Christ stood in their way. No one got in the way of her funeral procession. That was disrespectful. Christ stood there in the middle of the road and said, Stop. And looked at the mother and said, Your weeping is over. And then he walked to the buyer and with a touch, a boy was raised from the dead. Secondly, this is also the same pattern that the apostles. In Luke chapter 9, verse 1 to 70, in Luke 10, 1 through 9, and a few close companions of the apostles healed as well. We see Barnabas in Acts 5, 15, 12, Philip in Acts 8, 6 through 7, Stephen in Acts 6, verse 8. But see, this gift of healing in the New Testament was not a show to get people healthy. It was a sign to show and prove the genuineness of the gospel and the validity of Christ as deity. Let me say this. Yes, Christ and God does heal people today physically. We have seen that. We have prayed for people to be healed. And God, yes, He heals people physically. But let me ask you this. Which is more important to be healed? Physically or spiritually? We live in a world where there are people around the world, by the millions that are sick, spiritually. They are suffering from a disease called sin and lostness from the gospel. They need to be healed spiritually. They need to be granted the gift of repentance and turned to the finished work of Christ. But when one repents from sin and turns to the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are spiritually healed instantly. It doesn't come in phases. It doesn't come in, you get saved, and you get slain in the Spirit, and you speak in tongues, and then you're... Then it's complete. No, you repent from sin and you trust God at that moment. You are declared justified as if you were never a sinner to begin with. And the blood of Christ has been applied to your sin and washed away forever. Secondly, let's look at verse 41. Demons also were coming out of many. Shouting, you are the son of God. But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak, because they knew him to be the Christ. So now we see the authority of Christ over demons. We see the authority of Christ over demons. So we saw, first of all, the authority of Christ over sickness. Now we see it over demons. So not only was Christ able to free those that were held captive by Satan. Now if you remember that the lady that was... Uh, that was bent over, I forget the the exact reference here, but she was bent over, and Christ rebuked and said, you are being in in the affliction of Satan, I now rebuke Satan and free you. So not only has Christ able to free those captive by Satan, but he has the power over the kingdom of Satan and his minions. So now let's go back to Mark chapter 1. So you want to go to the left in your Bible and let's look at verse 34. There are many crowds that followed Christ. Now, the reason why they followed Christ was selfishly. They they either had diseases and they wanted to be healed or they had family members that were sick and wanted to be healed, or they just wanted to see see Christ like you would go to a, to a circus, to a fair, to see a musician pull a rabbit out of a hat. For verse 34, it's the same story. It says, And he healed many who were ill with various diseases, and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak, because they knew who he was. Was. Christ commanded the demons to depart from many. Spiritual possession was a major thing in that day because the demons and Satan were hard at work to destroy the ministry of Christ. But as we see here, the demons were terrified of Christ. Now, why were they terrified of Christ? I'm going to give you five reasons. First, one is this they knew his true identity. They knew that he was Christ. Secondly, they knew that he was the Son of God. Thirdly, they acknowledged the Trinity of God the Son. Fourthly, they acknowledged his authority. And fifthly, they acknowledged his power over them. He commanded them to be silent and to leave. Look there once again. He would not allow them to speak. But they knew him to be the Christ. You don't have to turn there, but let me go to James chapter 2. And if you want to turn there real quick, you can. But James chapter 2, James talks about demons. In James chapter 2 in verses 18 and 19. Verse says But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder or fear. You know who fears Christ the most? Not us. You know, we, we really don't fear God. We really don't. We may we may say it, we may preach it, we may try to practice it, but when it comes to fearing God, we really don't. Because if we really fear God, we would obey Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The demons are not atheists. They believe in God. They believe in Christ. They believe in the Holy Spirit. They believe in the validity of God's Word. Because if they did not, they would not fight against it so hard. If they didn't believe in God, why would they fight God so hard? If they didn't believe in Christ, why would they fight Christ so hard? If they did not believe in the finished work of Christ, why would they fight from people being saved so much? If they didn't believe in the sanctification of the believer, why would they fight us from growing in our sanctification so much? Demons, once we're saved, they're fine with that. Okay, they're saved, but I'm going to still work because I don't want them to grow in their sanctification. I'm going to find a way to keep them out of church. I'm going to find a way to keep them from reading their Bible. I'm going to find a way to keep them from praying. I'm going to find it. I'm going to find that weakness that is in their life, and I'm going to pounce on it. Read Mere Christianity sometime by C.S. Lewis. Read The screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And it details in great, great detail of how Satan works in the life of the believer. Now I want you to know the third thing. We looked at the authority of Christ over sickness, the authority of Christ over demons. Now let's look at the authority of Christ over eternity. Now when day came, evidently this had gone on all night. In fact, it is believed by many commentators that sickness, leprosy, illness, deformities, premature births, Healthy babies were being born, that all sickness in this region was completely eradicated because Christ healed them all. Now look at his authority over eternity. So when day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for him. And came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. We don't want you to go. Stay here, please. We need to see more of this. Like he was some sort of a sideshow, like a medicine man. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. For I was sent for this purpose. Yes, he was sent to heal the sick, to, to acknowledge his divinity. He was there to rebuke, sent to rebuke the demons and Satan, but he was sent more for the preaching of the gospel. so he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. so there were the times in the life of Christ in which he needed to just simply get along with his heavenly Father. that's what it means there at the beginning of verse. 42, where he says he had to go to a secluded place. And there were times that Christ just got tired. I mean, can you imagine just being, just being bombarded by thousands of people? It wore him out because he was human. The people now were following and seeking Christ. Why were they following They wanted signs of this miraculous healing. They wanted to see demons cast out. But the main purpose of the ministry of Christ was not to just perform astonishing miracles or to cast out demons. His purpose was to be a preacher of the gospel. And his power was seen to overcome the eternal effects and fallouts of sin. And he continues, even now, he continues to preach how to be delivered from the power of Satan and sin and enter the kingdom of God. How does he do that? Through his word. So what is meant by the expression here, the kingdom of God? Simply this. It is that realm of salvation that is granted to those that respond to the preaching of Christ with two things. True repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance being granted the gift of repentance, and then turn in faith towards Jesus Christ. Let me give you four applications this morning. The first one is this. Now earlier I talked about healing. But now what is the first one? I'm I'm, I'm not just talking about physical healing here. In fact, nowhere in Scripture does it command us to pray For the physical healing of people. It's only spiritual healing. It says here. In application. Jesus is the only hope. For true healing. Spiritual healing. Salvation. Delivered from sin. Delivered from the penalty of sin. Delivered from underneath the power of sin. And one day in heaven. In eternity. We will be delivered from the presence. Of sin. Secondly, Jesus will never overlook those that are truly desperate for, for healing from the spiritual bondage of sin. Isaiah 53:4, however, it was our sickness that he himself bore and our pains that he carried, yet we ourselves assumed that he had been afflicted, struck down by God, and humiliated. Why was he struck down? Why was he afflicted? Why was he humiliated? Because he took upon himself our sin. He became sin in our place. Thirdly, Jesus is the sovereign ruler of the universe. He is the sovereign ruler of the universe. Colossians 1.18, he is also the head of the body, of the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. You say, Dwayne, do you believe in the lordship of christ is there any other no jesus is lord he always has been and always will be and he will have the first place in everything fourthly in order for one to overcome the eternal consequences of sin you must repent from sin place your faith in the gospel let's go to romans chapter 10 Romans 10, let's look at verses 13 through 17. Once again, in order to overcome the eternal consequences of sin. The consequences of sin... Will last for eternity to those that do not trust in the finished work of Christ. And in order to overcome it, you've got to repent. Place your faith in the gospel. Verse 13, it says, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? There will be many. In fact, there will be many that will not believe that will believe. Verse 17, so faith, dependence upon Christ... Dependence upon the finished work of Christ. You know, I I understand why people use this term. I understand why people use the term, well, it's not about, uh, it's about a relationship with Christ. Like, Like, it's some sort of, like, Jesus is my buddy. Okay, but they're totally misusing that. Look, Christianity is not a relationship. It is about the finished work of Christ. That's what it is about. It's not about trusting Christ as, I want to have a relationship with you, Jesus. Can we be buddies? That's not what it's about. It is about trusting Christ as Lord. It's about trusting Christ as Savior. It's about trusting Christ that He paid your sin debt. He's Lord. He's not our buddy. He's Lord. So faith comes from hearing. And hearing by the what? The word of Christ. The word of Christ. May God help us to trust that word of Christ. May we pray together. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Father God, I pray that this morning that those of us that are true believers in the finished work of Christ, they will have that desire in our hearts and lives, Father, to continue to grow in our sanctification. And Father, Father, I pray also that you would grant us the gift of repentance to be victorious in our life and to grow in our spiritual walk with thee. And Father, I also pray for those that are either here this morning and never want to assume that everyone that is in church on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night are true believers, that they will trust the finished work of Christ before it is eternally too late. And Father God, I also pray that there's anyone that will listen in the future that is not truly born again, may they trust the finished work of Christ. And now, Father, as we end this service in just a few moments, may we leave knowing that you are God, that you are sovereign, that Christ is God, and he is sovereign. And the Holy Spirit is God, and he is sovereign. And we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before you leave this morning, as always, I'll be in the back. If you want to stop and just uh, just talk to me for a few moments, maybe there's a, a need in your life you would not like for me to pray with you about. Or maybe you can see Pastor Ken, or, or if you're a lady, and you don't feel comfortable talking to me, hey, no problem. My wife is here. She's in the nursery uh Diana's here she's more than happy to talk to you sonia is here and leads the ladies bible study uh we have our deacons wives uh that would love to talk with you and pray with you and uh, we would love to help you out in any way that we possibly could to help you to grow in your spiritual walk with the lord all right pastor kent
1: Before pastor went to prayer, the last thing he said in his message was, trust in Jesus. Let's stand and give this testimony song, and I trust it's coming from your heart today. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. So you will be singing your
2: own testimony, right? As we sing together. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him and his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, the said the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I trust him. grace to trust. I'm so glad, I'm so glad I learned to trust Him, precious Jesus, Savior and friend. And I know that He is with me, will be with Jesus, precious Jesus, oh for grace to trust him more. Let's pray together, shall we, as we close the service.
1: I love it that we end with singing. That way you can go to your car over lunch. You can go run these songs that we've sung today in worship through your mind and through your heart. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can trust in Jesus and his work of his death his burial, and his resurrection. Thank you for the victory of it all. Thank you for the truth that our sins can be forgiven in that shed blood of Jesus. We rejoice in that as we leave today. I pray that you'll bring these worship songs to our heart and mind all through the week, and it is truly sweet to trust in Jesus. We pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.